Welcome to the Outdoor States Podcast. As an outdoor rec economy advocate myself in the state of Vermont, I've been having conversations with people around the country about this topic for the last several years, and, and repeatedly I'm just blown away by how interesting these people are, how insightful they are, how passionate they are on this topic. So I decided to make a podcast. And yeah, I'm going to admit it's not going to be the best audio for every call. And yes, this is a little low budget and definitely a desktop publishing job. But I think what's really important here are the people that are on the phone. They have a remarkable passion, uh, incredible local perspectives, and, um, and are really willing to share what they're doing so that we can all learn from it. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation with Noah Wilson from Asheville, North Carolina. Noah is uh, very tall, uh, but also a very busy man, particularly in the field of outdoor recreation advocacy. Um, you know, he's, uh, he's really an economist and a, a rural planner, I think, at heart. Um, you know, when you look at his bio on his website, it talks about local food systems, renewable energy, biotech, all this great stuff. Um, but for the last six or seven years, he's really had his hands in the outdoor industry um, organization effort. He was a, a leading voice in the creation of the Outdoor Gear Builders of North Carolina, which led to the creation of a North Carolina Office of Outdoor Recreation, uh, which then led to the creation of the Growing Outdoors Partnership, um, which last year secured what I believe is possibly the largest cohesive grant package dedicated to outdoor recreation ecosystem development uh, ever. It's a fantastic story. I'm really psyched to have Noah on here. I hope you enjoy it. I think for the outdoor industry, you kind of came on the scene with the outdoor gear builders of Western North Carolina, right? Or, or had you worked in some sort of outdoor initiative before that? And that was, that was my first work in the outdoor field. I mean, it's, it's funny. Like I was always a big outdoors person and a big gear nerd. Like my wife and I had a closet when this, when OGB started, we called RAI because um, it was bigger than both of our closets and worth more than both of our cars. <laughs> right <laughs> you know full of gear everything from like bikes to like 15 or 20 backpacks to all you know all the, the various accoutrements of an outdoor lifestyle um and so like i've been a big outdoors person but most of my work had been in like basically what's called collective impact network uh development across appalachia and in western north carolina um so basically trying to help build these networks of organizations and of businesses and community stakeholders who all wanted to change their communities for the better, and especially to basically build economies focused around um, the sustainable use of natural resources and around really, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an economist, so my thinking is always about incentives. And it's like, how do we incentivize people to take care of their places? And a lot of the current thinking, and I believe it certainly, is that we make sure that their, the health of their economies is tied to the health of those places. Right. If 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 a healthy economy needs to have a healthy place, which it should, but we obviously decoupled that for a while, especially in the middle of the 20th century, early 20th century, um, then that means people will take care of it because they really have to. Um, it, it, it's 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 a wallet and it's a heart and it matters a lot. Um, and I think it's 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 really hard when someone. I think people really have, feel a lot of pain when they have jobs that don't take care of their environments, but that they need to have to feed their families. Um, right. Yeah. It's interesting. Like one, one economics phrase that always sticks in my head is that economics is the, the science of scarcity. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and when you start talking about, you know, limited resources, whether it's jobs or natural beauty, you know, all these things are finite, you know, and how do you sort of balance yeah. all those things out? There was, there's, there's a phrase that's in your bio on your uh, emergent opportunities page um, about regenerative economies, which I was really interested in that phrase. What, what, how would you define that? Ooh, that's a fun one. So regenerative economies to me means economies that actually make places better, that take care that people make them better than when you started, right? Sustainability is a problematic word because by a very hard and fast definition, it could say just means keeping things as they are, very static. Um, let, let me ask you this, is regenerative economies, I really like the idea that it's a you know way to kind of make a local economy better. Is that almost a little bit of a preferred nomenclature instead of rural redevelopment? You know, I like it a lot better personally. Um, 
I think it's it speaks towards this work that we have to do of not just redeveloping, you know, kind of this is like kind of going back to this idyllic past, um, but of really helping to grow something that is stronger and healthier and more diverse and therefore has a whole lot more resiliency. Um, you know, I mean, I think that there's a lot of this work on resiliency right now across the world, uh, certainly across the country, on um, building these economies that are multifaceted, um, on building, you know, communities that are multifaceted in recognition that those multiple facets are what make a place rich and what make it able to handle shocks and pressures. Um, yeah. You know, and there's, just- yeah, I have a lot of biology, um, just in terms of my, my, my nerd out side of things that I just look at that so many times. You see that diverse communities, biologically speaking, tend to be more able to deal with tough times. Yeah, and, resilience, you know, yeah. Yeah, resilience, resilience is big. And, you know, I think there's a lot of, um, you look at edge habitat, too. And you look at, you know, where is there so much diversity and richness? It's where things kind of meet one another, those various confluences. Um, so I think, yeah, I think regenerative economic development really looks at, um truly developing places as opposed to just trying to grow something. Um, and it looks at also all the various factors that are part of that place. Like when we talk about, you know, growing an outdoor economy, we'll dive into this a little bit later, talking about the Growing Outdoors project and partnership. But, you know, I don't say, okay, you know, stop doing work on, you know, uh, cultural tourism and music tourism and food and you know traditional manufacturing just focus on the outdoors like that is not the message a lot of our work is saying okay like you're doing that work and those are all really important to outdoor people like and similarly the outdoors is really important to the folks you're trying to talk with in those realms as well it all it builds on itself and it builds on the various kind of other partners to make a truly healthy you know community and ecosystem and and economy and you know it's funny ecosystem when i uh first started digging into my notes for for this call, I was like, wow, that's a really big word. And then I started looking at this project that we're going to talk about, uh, the mm-hmm. Appalachian, uh, Appalachian Regional Commission Power Grant, yeah, uh, and, you know, which was applied for and received by Growing Outdoors, which is like a $1.8 million effort uh, spread out over, I mean, how many states? I mean, it's it's a multi, it's, it, it, it's big. Yeah. It is an ecosystem, and and I and I think you know it's it's remarkable. I think in its scope. Well, first of all, it, it, it's kind of a fascinating story, right? The 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 idea that this whole thing started in kind of a, the Kennedy administration, you know, looking at you know a region that was really hurting, and how to how how do we how do we kind of you know provide some some long term strategic assistance for public health? Really, is kind of what it seemed like, um, and then you know. Uh, the previous administration kind of doubling down on that and and realizing that, you know, sustainable energy sources, wind and solar and stuff like that was creating new opportunities in parts of the country, but really had some real impacts on the coal communities of, of Appalachia. And, you know, how do we specifically address that, you know, which I thought, I mean, it's a really big thing and we'll, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but it all sort of, I, I think what I'm really interested in is sort of you know, if you count backward from this, which is arguably, I don't know, one of the biggest regional funding successes in the outdoor movement that, I, that I'm aware of, um, but it all kind of like tracks back possibly to the outdoor gear builders of Western North Carolina, right? I mean, that, for you, is, was that, is that sort of the beginning of the story for you? Yeah, I think that in many ways, this could never have happened without the outdoor gear builders of Western North Carolina. We'll just say WNC because it's shorter to say it. But, you know, the outdoor gear builders, just because they had done the work to show the impact that the outdoor recreation economy was having on the region, to show that we had a really amazing, you know, gathering and cluster of businesses here that were all working together, were building something bigger than themselves. Um, and honestly, we're one of the largest industry clusters in the entire country as far as manufacturing goes and as far as outdoor brands goes. Um, that really set the stage for this project. And, you know, and I have to give tremendous credit to the companies that stepped up in the first place and made it happen. Yeah, and, it's, and it started in, in 2013 is what I found on, the, on their site, it, it, you know, with just a, a handful of founding members. 
um, I believe in Asheville, right? And, um, you know, has grown now to be 33 businesses, which is remarkable. Um, and what I also liked about it is that the, the group does a does a census, I guess, which is kind of a, a maybe mm -hmm. a, a data dive of uh, into what those companies are doing. Um, and how long have you been, you know, involved with uh, the After Gear Builders, and and what were your roles there? Yeah, so so I was not a founder of the After Gear Builders, but I certainly was kind of a, a almost like a midwife in some ways, kind of helping helping it get born and, and grow. Um, and so my work. Uh, I was at a group called Advantage West at the time, which was a regional economic development group covering 23 counties in the western part of the state. And um, we had a project going on called WNC Agri Ventures, which was looking at, you know, what are the natural resource-based industries in western North Carolina that really need help to grow? And that was funded by a, a federal partnership. It was uh, Appalachian Regional Commission and the Economic Development Administration and USDA all working together saying, hey, we all have parts in this work um, in Appalachia to help really build new economies and strengthen was already happening. And that project was all about figuring out, okay, so what are these things like farming, food manufacturing, natural products, um, renewable energy, you know, um, kind of other core manufacturing sides of things, but also the outdoor industry and craft brewing, of course, I had, can't forget that one. Um, <laughs> of, course, of course not. You know, that all, are you know have opportunities to grow what's happening in those industries what are the big opportunities and right about when i started at advantage west the outdoor gear builders started so they started in april of 20, 2013 and it started over beers as is traditional um right. you know with folks getting together saying hey we think there's something here we think there's a lot of companies in this area that are brands but also a lot of just a, a big outdoor industry in the area and we really haven't ever been organized and can we start doing that? And we should start doing that. And they did. You know, they had support from Advantage West, but really it was driven by the industry to come together um, at Highland Brewing, which is like one of our kind of founding breweries in the area. And when they recognized, yeah, there's a lot happening here. It was a packed, large room of people. Um, they said, okay, we should start something, start kind of an organization to help organize this. That was the Outdoor Gear Builders. And so I came on in May of that year at Advantage West. And I was really lucky that one of my colleagues was like, hey, Noah, you've been running these networks in Appalachia for quite a while. This has been your work, you know, these collective impact networks. You know, can you help maybe the outdoor gear builders get rolling as a network and do some of that work as, a, as an anchor organization in the region? Was, obviously, I was really thrilled. I was like, yes, this is my dream. I can <laughs> turn my gear nerd passion into part of my job. I mean, absolutely. Um, and help grow something really cool. We, we, we knew almost immediately it was, it was a big opportunity there. Um, and, you know, uh, it was actually a mixture of companies from Asheville, but also from other, other counties, other parts of the region as well. I think the, the, the founding members, one of them was Sylvan Sport from Brevard, um, which just announced, like, they just got the top of their top in their category for the at, at RV Expo for the outdoor adventure category for, uh, for the new right. RV that passed. And then Eno, which is based here in Asheville. And, you know, they've just been doing amazing work over the past one in terms of their growth. And they both recognized that. You know, there was a lot going on around them. So there's two of the, the bigger companies in the area saying we have a lot of peers we need to be working with if we're going to help really make this region stand out. Um, and they have stepped up ever since. Um, and uh, yeah, so I got, to, I got to be involved pretty early on with that group and with helping grow them and helping to kind of organize a network. Their first events going on and then kind of serving as a network coordinator for the first couple of years. Right. And so, you know, in those first couple of years, you know, was what what was the what's interesting I, I would imagine the reason for being at that point wasn't that in 2018 you were going to apply for and receive a, a you know 1.8 million dollar grant that was i mean maybe that was in the back of somebody's head but what what was the um what was the reason for being for outdoor gear builders in, in those first couple of years i mean was it to create an office of outdoor recreation at the state level or was it more just sort of fundamental organization no, I think when we first started, that wasn't even on the radar. Um, but there was a lot of recognition that the a you know people were tired of driving across the country for every single media event. Um, you know, and they said, you know, why can't we bring media here to our region where we have amazing mountains and rivers and crags, all the things you need to do for a shoot, and bring some folks here. Um, b there's a lot of people in the region who just don't know 
about all the companies that are based here. Um, you know, they might be buying local food all day long and buying local craft beer all day long and buying local crafts and dedicated to spending that money locally. And they have local gear that's made right here. It's, you know, extraordinarily high quality, but they don't know about that. And so there was a really need for a, a branding push to help people recognize what's going on here. And then, you know, as that developed to help people around the country recognize that this is a place where extraordinary things are being made and where extraordinary companies are growing. Right. So it's essentially, you know, raising the visibility, uh, increasing the connection and the networking, uh, maybe some sector branding and kind of see where it goes from there. So when when did when did the you know the office of outdoor recreation at the state level and it's it's interesting you know I think you know for a lot of us it, it, it's not necessarily that that's a requirement in the in this process but it does seem like a natural evolution and when I look at this you know Appalachian Regional Commission power grants I see that the the office of outdoor recreation is also one of the co applicants in that partnership and so it's probably added maybe that additional weight that was needed to get that big grant. So, you know, in terms of how how did uh, the outdoor gear builders sort of morph into, OK, yeah, our next step is is creating an office of outdoor recreation in North Carolina. Yeah. So in 2016, um, I think people across North Carolina started to recognize that these offices of recreation were a really big deal um, and that they were, you know. An important thing for our state to focus on. You know, again, we're the sixth largest outdoor economy in the nation, tied with Colorado, according to OAA's data, you know, $28 billion and 260,000 jobs. And yeah. we had nobody in the state focusing on that. Right. Um, and, you know, that's absurd in a lot of ways to have a $28 billion industry. And at that time, you know, the people who were focusing on it were very much at a regional level and doing the best work they could. But in terms of bringing the state's, you know, political clout and funding abilities and just attention towards that industry, we needed to have a state office. And so, um, you know, Tom Dempsey, who's the CEO of Sylvan Sport, again, one of those companies that was a founding member of the OGB, and I flew out to the Shift Conference uh, fall 2016 and did a workshop at the Shift Conference where it was, we had all the kind of key people at the time. So we had, um, Luis Benitez from Colorado, Tom Adams uh, from Utah, as well as Tom's predecessor in Utah, as, as well as um, John from Washington, basically give a really detailed talk of like, this is how the offices came to be. Some specific, really wonky political details of how it became to be. And this is what we did to make it happen. This is how we're structured. This is the good, the bad, and the ugly of being a legislative created office versus a you know, governor's task force versus being a just part of the budget, et cetera. And then sat down for two hours with us to workshop, you know, how are you going to do this in your states? And so actually we were sitting next to Wyoming, I think, at that meeting. Um, you know, there were a few folks from North Carolina there and then people from, North, from Wyoming, from Montana, uh, from California, a whole bunch of other states were there in the room, Vermont. And notably, a lot of those states and Maine, I think, was there as well have now created offices. So I think they'll give a lot of credit to the shifts. Um, the, 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 the shift festival for making that happen there. At the same time, other folks were also working in the state more at the political level, kind of this coalition that has become the North Carolina Recreation Coalition that were working behind the scenes, kind of figure out what, what were the channels to make this happen in the state. And so those two, two efforts really merged in 2017 and we created that coalition and lobby really hard to get the thing created. And the outdoor gear builders was central to a lot of that work. Because again, it was something that was already happening in the state. You could go back to it and you say, hey, these people are all on board and they could you know, do their own outreach to legislators and to political stakeholders. Um, we had that census you mentioned, this biannual census we do of all members in terms of their jobs and local sourcing and other impacts that they create, which you know, it's amazing what it changes when you go from saying something's a big deal to saying, hey, this is a big deal. We grew employment in this sector by 40% over the past two years. And now there's 770 jobs or something like that now, 762 jobs that were just counted. And we know there's more that we couldn't get in the census because never, never one answers every other emails and forms. I wish they would to make my life a lot easier. Um, but we could go and say, hey, there's all these jobs that are already happening here. We can grow this thing. The state's got a huge amount going on. 
OIA's numbers are tremendously helpful. We could go and show that $28 billion industry, that 160,000 jobs, all the tax revenue coming in from that. So that when we came to the state, we had a really strong argument, you know, backed by industry, backed by data, backed by a state rep statewide representation of what's going on. And it happened fast. Yeah, it did. And, you know, and I think what's really interesting about it as, you know, a watcher and kind of somebody who's interested in this is not only did it establish fast, but you've already sort of set and hit, you know, benchmark metrics and exceeded goals. And, you know, you're showing growth. You know, it's one thing to kind of go out there and say, hey, we're, you know, this this many billion dollars and that, that works to get the meeting. But you have to say, and then we want to do this so we can grow this area and help this community or whatever that might be. And I think that's sort of the next level of this conversation. So, you know, we have we have Noah Wilson. You know, he's a regenerative economist in Asheville. He gets involved with the outdoor gear builders. And then he's involved in this um, the North Carolina Outdoor Recreation Office development. And then I'm not exactly sure the timeline. Then there's this group called Mountain BizWorks, which is, I guess, sort of the umbrella organization for the growing outdoors partnership is that is that sort of how that works and and, and yeah, sort of how does it's, that, it's that the time lead. Yeah. they're the lead okay so mountain biz works has been around for a while i assume about 30 years this year i think yeah right. doing all sorts of different stuff and then the growing outdoors partnership so they're the fiscal lead for it how, how did the growing outdoors partnership get started and was that a a partnership that was developed specifically to chase this um this arc power grant so after the outdoor gear builders started, a lot of folks took notice in the region. And that's another one of the reasons why OGB has been so important is that other people who might not have recognized the power and importance of the industry suddenly really started doing so. Regional universities started making more programs around the outdoor industry and also promoting them more heavily. Maybe even have universities that were doing those things, but just hadn't been promoting them nearly as much as they could have been doing. Um, and economic development groups started really perking up and economic developers who had been frustrated previously or their county's been frustrated about the amount of federal land they had. So they started seeing it much as more, as more of a blessing because it could bring things like those gear builders to their towns and counties. So because of that general awareness, we started really building this partnership that didn't have a name at the time of all these folks who were, you know, meeting up pretty regularly, you know, informally, you know how it is. You go, to, you go to a conference, you see some colleagues, you start talking, you have coffee with somebody later on, you see somebody else, you start connecting them, network kind of grows organically for a while. And then the power program, the first grant started getting made in 2015. And at the time, we were like, this would be awesome. We talked to our state representatives for ARC, and ARC is this state and federal partnership. And they're like, this is very much the right kind of work, but time isn't ready yet. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that are very much going to be happening, especially in places where coal's being mined right now. But, you know, start looking at what your impacts are as of, of coal's decline in your region. And what we found was, um, you know, through some studies that were done through the state, that a lot of the supply chain partners for the coal industry, you know, the people who make the, the mining equipment, do the metal fabrication, even the people who, like, move move train cars full of coal to a power plant. They're starting to close down and change over to natural gas are losing their jobs. And so there was a lot of work done both to kind of build this network and to show impact and to pull together this kind of outline of a project between 2015 when that power announcement came and 2018 when we finally applied for the grant. And so in 2000 and yeah, late 2017, early 2018, we started formally pulling folks together in that network and then spent two months of pretty dedicated work just writing the grant, which, you know, when you write a big grant, it's not like you're just writing the whole time. A lot of it is building the partnerships, figuring out who's going to do what, outlining the project, and then re-outlining the project, and then figuring out how to change the thing and then asking, okay, cool. So here's our idea for a, you know, $1.8 million project. Here's all the activities that we think we're going to do. How do these feel to you? And I'm tremendously grateful to a colleague of mine uh, who is from a rural county, not next to Asheville, and said, you know, this all sounds great, but it really seems like it's focused on Asheville and it's for you and people who already have an industry growing in their places. 
And my colleague, Matt Raker, and I sat down and we're like, well, I mean, we certainly did not write it with that in mind. And we have a lot of programs in here for rural places because a lot of this is a focus on, on rural, on how do we help rural communities grow their outdoor industry. But if that's what you're seeing, then something, something is there. And more importantly, we need to address that because rural communities, communities that are struggling, that need that regenerative economic development to happen there, need to see themselves in this project. And so we went back and literally rewrote every single one of our activities, and there are 19 of them, um, which means I'm going to have, I think, no hair left when this project is done, but that's okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. How long ago did you left. start this project? <laughs> you know, right, exactly. Um, so like, we wrote all those activities again and went back to say, okay, what is the rural impact of this component? How's it going to help our communities that are struggling right now, either from coal-related job losses and or just from the kind of general economic shocks that came with offshoring and similar issues in the 90s and aughts, and even the recession in 2008. And we rewrote those things. And then those folks who were kind of on the fence, who were like, I don't know about this project, said, yeah, I, I believe in this thing. I can see myself in this. I'm excited about this. And that was a big turning point for us. That was March of 2018 when we rewrote the whole thing to make sure that our various communities and the 24 counties that are part of the project could see themselves in it really clearly. Um, and so once you have a strong coalition together and you have a strong project that's written and you people believe in it and you're doing the work that you've been doing for a long time, you know, we use the outdoor gear strategic plan for a lot of the components of the project and a lot of these conversations we've been having for years to build the structure. Then we applied and got the grant, which, you know, was again, a, a lot of writing and a lot of honing and a lot of letters and a lot of, you know, asking for support from various people. But that's what made us, what got us the ability to do this today. Um, and then it was six months from that point till announcing it and then we could start work officially. And, you know, I mean, the, the, it was also kind of calling through the data and setting some goals. I mean, the goals, you know, of the five-year plan to help start up 35 new outdoor businesses, expand a hundred existing businesses, train 125 students in new outdoor degree programs at local universities, create at least 150 jobs and attract 10 million in new business investment. That, that that's that's big <laughs> you know that's a lot of yeah. stuff you know yeah. and, and 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 you know i would imagine that even just agreeing on those goals was probably uh, some very interesting conversations how you know so this is all you know we you talk about we in this part you're talking about i would assume the growing outdoors partnership here mm -hmm. and how i mean you know how, how many people were in that partnership and how were you able to sort of keep all those stakeholders involved in these conversations? I mean, did you have one person from each group in the room for these conversations? So from the core partners there, we had at least one person in the room from each one of them. Sometimes we'll with an alternate or a, or, or a partner there at tables. We had about 10 folks at the table during the grant writing conversations. And yeah, you got to imagine that putting together metrics, you know, kind of success metrics that are both compelling enough uh, for to be funded, but also realistic enough that you can comfortably achieve them. I say comfortably, I mean, you know, you, yeah, like, yeah, I can pull that off. Actually achieve them. <laughs> <You know>? Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, that, that's always a, it's always a little bit uh, nervous making, but it's really important to set high goals. Um, and we did, and we, we're going to, we're going to get them. I mean, that's that WNC AgriInterest project I talked about earlier that kind of set the stage for the outdoor gear builders and other groups to make this thing happen. Like we had similarly lofty goals and knocked them out of the park. Um, I think it's very doable, but I think it's, it's again, it's about really starting very early on with bringing together these systems that support entrepreneurs, that support communities to grow, that support what's, you know, what's already happening in your communities and really catalyze it. Um, you know, that's, that's a lot of our work is to be this catalyst to not create things out of, out of, out of, out of whole cloth, but to take these, these various kind of actors who may have been beating the drum for a while in their communities around the outdoors and give them the backing to say not only is this a good idea here's how we know it here's someone who can help us make it happen here are experts in the region and nationally who can you know provide assistance in getting that to come to fruition whether that's a new trail in a town or is a new business getting getting rolling 
or it's an expansion of an existing industry or it's a new project coming to town. Like it's providing that system of support and honestly of just believing and cheerleading and being there for people as they grow their outdoor economies in their places. Right. How one part of this that's really, I don't know, it's funny, it's mentioned sort of high up in the press release and people probably read by it. I saw it, it kind of was a jaw dropper that the award, you know, you have this major, you know, $940,000 grant from the ARC joined by $787,000 in local matching funds. How, how do you chase almost 800 grand in local matching funds? Is that, you know, 700,000 individual donors or, or are, are there um, clear places that you knew to go to try to find that? So that comes together a from having those networks you build over time so that partners believe in it and are willing to put money towards it. Um, you know, that's regional universities dedicating staff towards this thing. That is uh, community development financial institutions, CDFIs, um, putting them under where their mouth is and saying, we'll invest, uh, what is it, $800,000, you know, total from the grant into rural places. And that's minimum. You know, we know there'll be revolving funds going so you, even, even beyond that. So, you know, dedicating capital towards this thing that is outdoor gear builders saying, yes, we're going to grow as an organization and bring in more members and do more work and invest in regional branding and a number of other things that they've basically set up to do. That's Mountain BizWorks, you know, dedicating their staff, their time, their energy, their dollars towards this. It really takes a community. Um, in order to have that kind of match, you need to have done the work to build a strong coalition of people who believe in a project and are willing to put their own resources towards it. Um, yeah, yeah. That's really, it's, it's, it's it's always an adventure. It's amazing. And so and one quick question in terms of the funding and that process, and then we'll talk a little bit about implementation. But sure. at, at some point I saw that our current administration and our current president had stated at one point that he was going to um, revoke all funding for the ARC. At, at, at what point did that announce? Where were you guys in your process when you saw the tweet? or whenever, whatever that was. Obviously that changed and you know now they've funded it at the highest level that it's ever been funded, but that had to be a um, kind of a long morning. Yeah, I, it was a long morning, but I also really believed in the the work that ARC has done for the past what is it, almost 60 plus years now to really, or 50 plus years, but to really help our rural communities in Appalachia grow and to build the political support that comes from doing the good work. I mean, I like to say if you are in Appalachia in the, in the 13 ARC states and you turn on a light bulb, flush a toilet, drive on a road, you can probably thank ARC for that in some way, I should perform. Right. You know, they've done so much foundational work on infrastructure and on community development, on broadband, on health, on schools and, community, and communities and economic development, helping to make sure that when a manufacturer wanted to come to town, they had the resources and the utilities they needed. It's, there's such foundational work. There's also a lot of visionary work for the region um, that I think they had the political support to make something happen, um, whatever the tweet of the day might be. And so I really, I believed in them and in the work that we were doing as well. Um, and I think that, you know, that, that's, been, that's been borne out. Again, you, know, you look at what the power program is doing today, and it's addressing things like the opioid, opioid epidemic broadband issues, economic development, health, schools, the things that people want in their rural communities. And it's all focused in many ways on helping grow the economy of the region. That is a very bipartisan issue. There's yeah, no yeah. Republican or Democrat for those particular issues. It's about like, yeah, do we want that for our communities? Yes, we do. Is it helping our communities? Yes, it is. So, yeah, I mean, we, we've been lucky in the Appalachians to have the commission here. Um, it's remarkable. And, yeah. I actually found some good stats on Wikipedia about you know, just the success metrics for the ARC, you know, since creation, you know, reducing high poverty communities from 295 to 91, reducing infant mortality rate by two thirds, doubling the percentage of high school graduates, you know, creation of hundreds of thousands of jobs, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it just goes kind of on and on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. You know. and, it, and it leverages so much private and community investment, too. It's one of those things where the ROI is huge for the federal government on that. Right. Like, again, like you said, like we raise $800,000 locally to match this 940K and we know we'll bring in, what, 10 million plus more to the region for the project. So it's like that's the work we can do. Um, it's, re it's remarkable. Yeah. And you, so th once again, this is the Growing Outdoors Partnership um, that is going to be 
you know, sought and is going to implement um, this funding. And, you know, there was what I found were sort of the five pr primary strategic objectives, workforce development, entrepreneurship and access to capital is number two, growing markets is number three, connecting the industry cluster is number four, and then economic development is number five. And, and it's interesting, you know, the economic development my, you know, well, I, I was at these open houses a couple of years ago about outdoor recreation and, you know, we had all these tables and people were coming around and I was at the economic de development table and all these community members were like, you know, really engaged in this idea of outdoor recreation. And they would all come over to the table and look at the economic development thing and say, yeah, we should have some sort of economic development. <laughs> and that was, that was their main idea. And it's, it's such, it seems like such an obvious thing, but it's so hard to actually put your finger on what that means. And I think that the Growing Outdoors list of economic development stuff is, is so great and, and really specific. You know, I mean, I, you know, it has a Western Carolina University launching new degree and certificate programs, uh, the Outdoor Gear Builders expanding, a new industry job board, um, uh, industry and partners working closely with rural communities to identify outdoor investment opportunities, uh, a business accelerator, a loan fund for rural-based outdoor companies, uh, cooperative regional branding campaign, and an annual industry summit. I mean, it, it those are great goals, you know. And and I guess you know when I look at that, you know how how here, here's one question I have for you is how. This is not, this can't be a one-year program. So this is like a five-year program, right? I wish it was five. It's it's like two to three right now. Right. To, achieve, um, to achieve all those things or to get them teed up? I think we'll be getting almost all of these done in that period of time. And some of these are going to be, most, actually, I'll say most is going to be ongoing, right? right. Like we're going to start our accelerator program. The revolving loan fund is going to make all the loans it needs to to hit us numbers. You know, we'll have our annual summits. We'll have our press camp events, we'll have our, you know, local demo days and our job board rolling and our new programs happening. But yeah, like if you talk about the new degree programs, to get a new degree program through the UNC system takes five years oftentimes. So right. we'll have some programs that are already in the pipeline get through in time, you know, and other ones will be, you know, three fifths of the way to being in place and we'll be able to at least say where they are. And hopefully have follow-on funding and condition continuing work to make it happen. That's a lot of this stuff. Is this is foundational work? You know, right. all the things we're doing in this project are kind of taking the. I mean, it's, it's almost like we're taking this this actual foundation, like the floor, like the foundation of a house that was built through the outdoor gear builders through the last five years, 2013 to now, and then saying, okay, we're going to add in the structure, the framing, the you know, the walls, the drywall, et cetera. And there's a whole lot of work from there to actually like make the house a home, um, which I think is going to be the next step after the Growing Outdoors partnership finishes this first phase. Um, but it is, you know, these, these are all really very achievable things, and they're all based upon the work we've been doing for a long time in the region to be ready for a project like this to happen. Right, right. We've been, we've been planning for five years for something like this to, to go on, and, and we just didn't yeah. know what it was going to look like yet when we first started. In terms of implementing this and, and getting all these things up and running, how... I mean, how is it, I mean, one that, one thing that I think is also interesting about this whole thing is that there is, you know, a lot of, not a lot, but a good chunk of the funding is going to paying people to actually get this done. You know, yes. it's not, it's not just, hey, well, if you can come up with the staffing, we'll provide the money. You know, it's like, no, somebody's, somebody's got to plan it. Somebody's got to do it. How, how, I mean, I know you're devoting a good chunk of your time, but that it can't just be you. You've got to have other no. people looped in. How, how many people and how what what is the first step you know when when you're trying to you know eat this giant elephant you know how do you how do you get this moving and how many people are involved in it we have five people who have at least part of their job dedicated to this project Great. um you know it was a core team as well as other staff who at least devote part of their time um you know and we really have that you know, regional advisory council of people who have been part of the project or were brought onto it as it started to, to ramp up very early on, who also dedicate their own organizations and their and their own networks and knowledge to making it happen. You know, the first thing we did as we were launching was to get our advisory council together on the project. So they were all on board and had pieces of it to help help, help run with. We have working groups that again, kind of leverage our staff and our own capacity to make these bigger things happen through their own expertise on things like workforce development, regional marketing and branding, 
you know, our regional asset, recreation assets and infrastructure and our and our uh, supply chains for the region. You know, how are we basically making sure that there's all these companies who make things here? It's a big manufacturing state. Not all these companies recognize they have opportunities in the outdoor industry. How do we get them to recognize that? And some way people in the outdoor industry who want to make things, whether that be textiles, rotomolded or blown plastics, metal fabrication, 3D printing, I mean, furnishings, RVs, I mean, you name it, we're making all these things here. And a lot of these manufacturers have capacities that probably aren't being fully used. You know, if a tool isn't being used at a given time, it's not um, making money for you. So like, we can be doing more with those companies. Um, and so I think there's a lot of these working groups that have these key, key connectivities and that also have in their job somewhere making this happen, who we're now tying into the project because we recognize if we're gonna get this thing done, it's gonna take a lot of hands on deck. Um, That's yeah. great. It's great. And so, and, and then in the, you know, there's a couple different um, references to loan funds. You know, I saw that there was, you know, in that economic development um, section, there was an $800,000 loan fund for rural-based outdoor businesses. Um, yes. How, t- talk a little bit about that. That's a lovely big number. And, you know, the fact that it's going to rural-based businesses, um, what's, what, can you just sort of expand on that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So again, when we got that, that, that meeting in March where one of our partners was like, I don't see myself in this part this project yet. It seems like it's focused on, you know, on Asheville or on what's already happening. One of the outcomes from that was saying, okay, we, need, we knew we were going to have a loan fund. It needs to be rural only so that, you know, communities that have entrepreneurs in them in our rural places know that there are, there are dollars in place for those entrepreneurs to get funded and grow. Um, and so, yeah, there's a partnership between Mountain BizWorks, which is a community development financial institution, a CDFI. There's a lot of entrepreneurship training and lending. And the Natural Capital Investment Fund, which is another CDFI based out of West Virginia and work um, in West Virginia, Virginia, North Carolina, other Appalachian states um, to, to lend money to businesses that are rural, that are in the outdoor industry. Um, not just manufacturers, could be an outfitter, could be a guide, could be a retailer, you know, could be a lot of different things, but they have to be outdoor industry and they have to be rural. And again, what makes a CDFI work as opposed to just a traditional bank is they work primarily people who have a hard time getting traditional loans. You know, they're startups or they are from a, you know, a community that often has a hard time getting, getting, getting funding, um, which there are all too many in our country right now still. And so they work a lot on both the funding and the technical assistance side of things. They have loans that are entrepreneur friendly, and they also have staff and coaches and communities that surround those entrepreneurs to make sure that they have their business plans dialed in, their marketing plans dialed in, their you know, ongoing support from coaches that if they're running into a problem in their business, there's somebody else who's been in the same industry who can help them figure out how to get through that problem. Um, and so that's what those loan funds do is, you know, we have $800,000 in loan funds, but also a ton of additional support and funding for the staff to make sure those entrepreneurs actually succeed in their businesses. You know, that those that, that, that money is used as well as possible to help somebody grow. Nice. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fantastic thing, you know, and I think, you know, what, what's interesting about this outdoor movement across the country is, is there's, there is this sort of urban rural dichotomy in a lot of places. And I think trying to figure out how you, how you make it equitable across across all communities is 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 really a huge challenge. I think the, that rural loan fund is one step. I also, you know, was really happy to see that you have the annual industry summit on here too, just as a place to get everybody face to face, or at least an effort to get everybody face to face in the room. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about that. So you guys held one previously. Um, yeah. So and and, and, and and will the future one be that same model, or will it be different somehow? Yeah, so in October 2018, just before we were allowed to announce the project, um, we did the first Outdoor Economy Summit, Western Carolina University, which is a regional university here that's really doubled down their focus on the outdoors that like won Blue Ridge Outdoors Magazine's best outdoor school like four years in a row. Like they have a Hall of Fame thing going on there already. They held the first Outdoor Economy Summit at their campus in Cullowee, which is in about an hour west of Asheville. Um, and it was packed out. Like it, biggest room in the entire, in the entire, the entire area was full. Um, 250, 250 people came to that, that summit. And 
it was focused a lot around kind of connecting the outdoor industry and people who were in the western part of the state together and helping them learn from one another and do some, do some awesome panels, really excellent events there. Feedback was excellent. And then when we finally got the, the funding, we're like, okay, how do we grow this thing? Like it filled the biggest room here. Let's get a bigger room and let's tie it back to this project. Um, you know, they were already a partner on board with that. So they knew it was coming up. And so what we're doing this year is we're going to be focusing on, on, you know, how do you build an outdoor economy, you know, in a, in a, in a given place. And so it's this mixture of workforce and supply chains, marketing and assets that is the focus of the summit this year. And so October 10th this year, 10, 10, 2019, we'll be having that summit in Asheville. Um, we'll be having it at the Crown Plaza Hotel, which has like a mountain bike park and a zip line course and adventure course literally on the grounds next door. Um, so it'll be, you know, able people like actually get able to go out and do the stuff we talk about, you know, during breaks and before, and we're trying maybe from some adventure race type things going on there, if we can pull it off. But, you know, the goal in many ways is to have this be a summit that brings people from across the entire region, you know, again, rural communities and urban communities, you know, mountain bikers and backpackers and horse people, horsemen and women and fishermen and et cetera, in the same place and economic developers and city planners and state parks and national parks and all these people who are key players in the outdoor economy in the region from across 20, like it was 24 plus counties in the West plus the state and some neighboring states to say, okay, what does it take to build these economies? You know, what are the key components that will take a place from having outdoor assets and a goal around building on those things to actually having a thriving outdoor industry in their town? And that's the focus of the summit this year. And I think it's going to be really successful. I think just the speakers we're already talking to, the kinds of folks who have, you know, are planning to attend it. Um, it's, it's a chance to bring everybody together. And I think almost, almost like a pair of lungs. It's like you compress all these people together in the same place, and then you just push them out to kind of oxygenate their communities and bring energy and excitement and new resources and help make something happen. Yeah, it's very cool. I mean, you know, it's, you know, anytime you get people in a room talking about outdoor uh, recreation economies, there's this place where they get it and you can kind of see them like, oh, they're wrapping their head around it. And I, I do think that getting them in face-to-face conversations and panel discussions, whatever it might be, is definitely the key there. That's awesome. So who will be, um, who's the, um, the primary organizer for that? Is that Growing Outdoors or is that Western Carolina University that's going to be the organizer again? So it's Growing Outdoors partnership this year, and that includes a couple of professors and staff from WCU that are also part of the partnership. So they're a core part of our team. So it's kind of this mixture. Very cool. Um, Yep. That's great. And then the last thing I wanted to ask you about was that, uh, you know, in this, in the grant, you know, kind of comes full circle that the outdoor gear builders get a little bit of budget as well, you know, which I think is fantastic and awesome. And, you know, as somebody who's been involved in trying to get a a state business association up and running, budget is really hard. (laughs) You know, I mean, you're, you, you got, you got, and even getting volunteer time is hard. You have all these small business owners and you're trying to get it. But as part of this, OGB is getting 124K um, which includes a loan fund for new businesses and, you know, creation of new jobs and, and, and specific initiatives like your press camp and, um, but also paying for some staff, which is, is, is amazing, you know, and, and that, you know, 124 number is, you know, that's as much as some states are applying to their entire state office of outdoor recreation. So I, I would imagine that's a, an investment that's going to provide some, some serious returns. Um, I mean, they, they must've been ecstatic about that. Yes, they, they were involved from the very beginning. We had their board chair and vice chair on the committee when we were de- developing the grant. Um, and we knew, like my colleagues and I, we were, that whole team, we were writing that grant. We knew that the OGB has done amazing work with really mostly volunteer es- efforts in the past five years. And if they were going to level up to where they could be and where they had aspirations to be and had plans to be, they needed staff to make it happen. And so that mixture that now we have of staffing as well as programmatic funding to do things like, you know, expand the network and help develop job boards and new training programs for entrepreneurs and for workforce and to 
you know, uh, make sure that we represent really well at our trade shows and that the regional regions marketing is dialed in, including at our regional brands, really promoting where they're from. Like those things require staff and they require money. Um, and I think that it's really important that, again, as regions and as states want to grow their outdoors, they need to help fund the kind of grassroots efforts like the outdoor gear builders that are going to actually be on the ground implementing this stuff and who have the knowledge of what the industry is like and what it's going to take to make something happen. I mean, it's pretty amazing. It's like you said at the beginning of this conversation, you know, all of this, I mean, there are a lot of people's hands and a lot of people's backs need to be padded in this process. But, you know, the outdoor gear builders, it was really sort of like an essential first step to this whole conversation. And, um, you know, it's, it's really... I don't know. It's re- it's really heartening to see you know this kind of success and and see that that organization now truly have the chance to see what it can do. I mean, like you said, it was it's all like leveraged volunteer time and micro budgets, and now it's like, all right, see what you can do now. And 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 then you know uh, the other thing I really like that you said that you know it's really more about this economic ecosystem rather than just like one economic growth metric that we're trying to hit you know how do you how do you grow the whole thing as opposed to just moving one needle um really exciting um but noah thanks so much man it was it's been great i think we went a little past our target half hour but but uh but it's great hearing you kind of you know speak on all this stuff yeah it's it's a super exciting project i mean i think and i think that there's this work across the country going on with all these different support organizations and networks like the Outdoor Gear Builders and like our project that are starting to talk to one another. And I think that the work you're doing through this podcast and the work that's happening you know, nationally to connect these various stakeholders who support our offices, who understand how important they are, and who frankly are the kind of boots in the ground in the various states working with those offices to make things happen in their, in their communities. It's really heartening to see. I'm extremely excited to be, you know, a part of that larger network and, you know, to help other communities, you know, across Appalachia, across North Carolina, across the country, you know, use what we're doing as a model and to learn from them and to grow together. It's really cool. Noah, thanks again, man. I I, uh, can't wait to see and have another beer with you sometime. Same here, Drew. All right. Take it easy. I'm going to stop recording now. (laughs) Sounds good. All right. See ya.